The Great Canadian Talk Show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the west side of campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show Podcast. This is uh, episode 28, I think, in our ongoing series of uh, what's going on around Winnipeg, around Manitoba, leading up to the provincial election and following the civic election. And I'm uh, certainly glad to have you all join me and the new listeners as well. Uh, And uh, this uh, particular episode is uh, brought to you by Midtown Auto. With a great selection of trucks, if you you or you know anybody who's looking, uh, in particular for a truck, uh, car, other vehicle, anything that'll make the bike lobby unhappy, so to speak, then uh, get a hold of Midpoint Auto. You'll hear the uh, fine commercial, the finely produced commercial for them later in the program. Get a hold of them and uh, just give them that promo code, T-A-L-K, TALK, and you'll be well en route to getting possession of something with a key a motor, an engine, and that will bring you pride because you will then own a quality product that will get you around to where you want to go or be, so to speak. This episode in two parts. The second part, I'll take a look at provincial politics, the uh, issues with provincial polling, the lack of analysis, or the kind of analysis, I'll say the lack of analysis, but it's the kind of analysis you're not going to get, of course, from the legacy media, from the mainstream media, who are so busy uh, shuttering doors, uh, emptying desks, closing down computer terminals, eliminating institutional memory. You know, they want to centralize, uh, what was the argument that we heard uh, uh, this week? It was uh, they need to centralize the news operations, Bell does. Uh, so you're going to end up with, you know, a couple of radio stations, TV stations. They're all going to have news, one newsroom, one message, one perspective. If there's one thing that could be safely said, the CRTC, having claw, having completely botched not one but two different radio signals in Winnipeg uh, in on the campus side of the equation, they are incapable of regulating anything that has anything to do with the business of radio and with radio Audiences being serviced, being attracted to the medium, growing that audience. Absolutely no brains in the CRTC when it comes to that whatsoever. Uh, and uh, amazing that, uh, that now maybe 1,300 jobs lost isn't quite the threshold, but certainly there are situations where jobs are lost in an industry or by a company across the country, and it spurs calls for, you know, queries, investigations, actions, etc. I'm not saying that this rises to that level necessarily, but this was a big deal, and it means that there's fewer voices out there being provided by the well-heeled media outlets, and it makes the role of people like me, with institutional memory, with passion, shining a light on what goes on in the political environment around you and on the streets around you, um, I think that this makes the kind of work that people like I do, and I think I'm pretty much alone in Winnipeg, uh, this is more invaluable than ever to make sure that these kinds of reports can continue, to make sure that uh, our investigations are able to uh, to um, 
dig into the issues of the day, the concerns, the complaints of people. It just, just stunning how we, I, I found out that Vancouver lost two stations. Now, granted, one of them was at, we all know that they parked the comedy format on their stations across the country to be able to lose money to justify shuttering their doors instead of trying to make money. But Vancouver lost two stations in one day. That's terrible. And uh, in fact, I was, uh, I, w- I was uh, around through, through format change uh, in, one, in one particular place. And now here in Winnipeg, what was CFRW? Uh, with amazing how everybody avoids, they talk about uh, when it was uh, uh, was it was it uh, thirteen right thirteen the fox or something and uh, these other ideas. Nobody ever talks about talk radio twelve ninety, which was by far the strongest format that that station had enjoyed after about nineteen eighty five or eighty six, and probably to this day, uh, even through the sports uh, era, I uh, I think it's. I mean, it's a different game, but I think it's arguable that uh, that that era brought more um, more engaged listeners, as opposed to casual listeners, and created more change around Winnipeg. Uh, ever since the demise of uh, Talk Radio twelve ninety, uh, there's been ever since then there's been less talk on Winnipeg radio, with the exception of when Kick FM was alive and kicking. There's been less information, less news, less insight, less analysis. Less contrarianism. And that's why we're here. Great Canadian talk show. Trying to serve the community as best we can. With your support, you'll hear all about that later in the program as well. Today in two parts, provincial second. But first. Matt Allard, city councilor for St. Boniface. He was on the kick about scraping sidewalks all the way to the pavement because of snow. Not understanding the nature of of uh, how things can be made worse instead of having some hard-packed snow on sidewalks, etc., etc., etc. He got off that kick, and his last three or four Facebook posts is, I'm taking the bus today. Well, he put up another one of those today, and it attracted a lot of attention from um, people who are always interested in Matt Allard's crazy theories about how this city should run. Formerly a City Hall insider, now on the outside of Mayor Gillingham's circle of influence. I started writing this message on a bus. Uh, this was posted in a series of tweets on Twitter and also on his Facebook page in one long uh, post. I started writing this message on a bus. How do you take Winnipeg Transit? And if you don't, why not? When someone chooses to ride the bus, it reduces traffic congestion for everyone. I decided to live in Windsor Park in part because of its relatively good access to transit. And my partner and I found a house that we liked that had room for our combined family. He goes into those kinds of personal details. You know, they got kids. People generally use commute time as the measure of how to get to your destination. And despite transit's limitations, it still has a lot to offer. So you can tell that as people are reading this right now, they're starting to, the low simmer has been turned on the oven. Despite transit's limitations, it still has a lot to offer. Commute time is not the only factor of travel. There are other considerations like cost, convenience, quality of the trip. (laughs) Convenience, quality of the trip. Activities that are possible while traveling, exercise, and other considerations. It's less expensive to ride the bus than to own and operate a motor vehicle because paid parking is a taxable expense. He means as a city councilor he's talking. I calculated that canceling my parking benefit... 
I was close to breaking even by using the bus, riding my bike, taking the occasional ride and the occasional vehicle for hire if something unexpected happens. Now, then he goes into a long talk about the applications he uses to navigate. Um, the Winnipeg Transit application, uh, he takes screenshots for reference. I use Winnipeg Bus Light to find out when the buses may be coming. I use Google Maps to find the... What happens if you don't have a smartphone? He doesn't have any answers for that. And as I recall, he was in charge of public works when they took the actual schedules off of the transit stops so that people who maybe didn't have, don't have a, uh, 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 smartphone whose phone maybe had died or been stolen they would still know when the bus was coming more or less and he also used the transit on demand service that takes him from bus stop to bus stop in st boniface in part of st patel boy that sounds like a vanity project in his word doesn't it i will also at times take a full bus cycle ahead of my arrival time because i can't be sure my bus will be early or late I have an excellent service, Madelard says, on the blue line, even though I've been turned away because of a full bus. The next bus wasn't far behind. I wish all of this functionality were available in one application. I wish there was an application that could tell me exactly when I would take a bus based on locations I could reach by biking, driving, or other means. I've spoken to the public service about some of these issues. I've asked for a meeting with them to see how we might have all this information in one easy-to-use application. There's a direct comment that was made to me about that. I'm going to read it now, as a matter of fact, because it's... It's too good to pass up. He's going to waste the time of the public service to talk with them about an app. So instead of having to do four or five things and go to this thing and then check that thing and then take a screenshot so you actually can see something. Because you can't just walk up to a stop and read what the, time, what the times are the bus is supposed to come. And God knows that that's a complete uh, crapshoot. As one person contacted me today with a comment about Matt Allard's uh, commentary about transit using buses. He was the chair of public works. Why didn't he deliver the app on his watch? Dun, dun, dun. No, instead, Matt's complaining something he could have helped institute when he was had to influence City Hall that it doesn't exist. So he's going to waste the time of the public service. Maybe they already told him it wasn't feasible what he wanted, and he's just like with other things he brings up. Anyways. <sighs> I also prefer bus tickets to the Pego card because I can share them. I can see my balance by looking at them. And I like the paper transfer, blah, blah, blah. The bus tickets will always work whereas the Pego card makes that annoying buzzing sound. Nobody make a buzzing sound around Matt Allard. He'll be annoyed. You know, I got to go back a couple of years ago when I was doing uh, commentaries uh, with Manitoba Post, I did a whole investigation into Pego cards failing, where they weren't getting loaded for days on end, and people were getting stuck, and the cards were the cards themselves, the plastic cards themselves were failing, where they weren't lo uh, I don't know, like loading properly or whatever. This is again like four years ago. Madelar just and there were, that affected so many mothers. So many young mothers in this town, working class people, in one ear and out the other when it comes to Madelard. His problem with the Pego card is, oh, it buzzes. I carry a lot of stuff, so I try to make myself small. The guy's like six foot three. So people can use the other seat. Here's how he concluded his little missive. I know that despite all these advantages, many Winnipeggers don't take the bus because they don't feel safe. Are you ready for this, folks? The bus is a public space. Like other public spaces, there are safety risks. 
There are also safety risks when traveling by car so much so the Mantle Public Insurance started the Save the 100 campaign, can pay the points out 100 people a year will lose their lives in traffic collisions. Once on the bus, chances of fatality are almost nil. How do you take Winnipeg Transit? It's like these people that write these articles. They go, how's it in your house? Well, I heard a lot about this immediately. Matt Allard heard about it certainly on Twitter and other places. One of the comments uh, pretty immediately sent to me uh, with regards to this uh, comparison this, this Save the 100 campaign for MPI. That's one of the stupidest comparisons I've ever seen, wrote one of our faithful, loyal listeners. Woke Golden Boy, one of the better Twitter accounts to follow. Is Councillor Allard really dismissing the many safety concerns of Winnipegers by saying there are also safety risks by travel- when traveling by car? Are people getting knifed and seeing their children beaten in their own cars? Really disappointing to see this sort of indifference. <laughs> well, what wasn't disappointing was to see Winnipeggers tell Madelard to shove it. And he heard it in spades, both on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm a 58-year-old white male. I no longer say, feel safe on buses or in shelters. Here's another comment. Too expensive to do the very small trips where I absolutely would grab a bus instead of my van. Far distances are too long. Spending so much time waiting for transfers, it never makes sense. So we'll get on to that time thing, too. Because Matt Allard, you know, he lives in Windsor Park. Apparently all these things that affect everyone else somehow aren't affecting Windsor Park. I don't know. Don't affect the 19. Uh, here's somebody who lives in Windsor Park, just like Allard, works in the St. Boniface Industrial Park. To take a bus is a 37-minute ride on two buses. If I drive there, it's less than 10 minutes. One person commenting, removing the 14-day Pego card option was a big mistake because they sell two sevens instead of a 14, but I don't know how popular or not popular a two-week bus pass was. Here's somebody who lives on the west side of the red and works on the east side. As in St. Boniface, a 12-minute car ride to my work takes over an hour by bus with three transfers. As someone with a disability and no guarantee of a seat, that makes it more difficult. Here's somebody. Young, a young lady. I take handy transit. If it's not available, I take regular as a disabled person. It's scary. Oh, Madelard didn't mention that, did he? I get pushed around because I need to use a walker and I'm slower. I guess meaning shoved around on the bus as people come in and out and stuff. A few drivers are really good. Some get annoyed about it. It's unfortunate. And a lot of women commenting. Here's another one. I can't imagine how many hours it would take to, to it would take my husband to get to work and back, and how many transfers. If there was even bus service to his work, I suppose he could bike there with his arthritic knee and hip, and his replaced uh, other kidney and hip. Someone comments about Umsu bus passes in the summer. It's insane. I guess they don't come very often. Here's someone who says their bus only comes 40 minutes outside of peak times. In the morning, it's packed with students to standing room, cramped and uncomfortable. There was always an unsavory character on several trips during the week who made me feel unsafe, saw violence. Madelard didn't, what did he say? Listen, there's risk everywhere in public spaces. There's risk everywhere in public spaces. Really? Hmm. Haven't seen him talk about that risk too much in St. Boniface. Haven't heard a peep out of him. But the the machete and the gun up on, uh, was it uh, Dubuque and Enfield a couple of weeks ago? No comment. 
here's a synopsis for another individual that pre-COVID, they took the bus downtown. Now there's no way. The last time I was on a bus, someone went on hinges and started screaming like crazy. My kid still talks about that. Not worth it ever. See, kids get traumatized. Madelard didn't notice that. Can't work early or late on Sunday because there's no bus. This is, a, I believe, a Facebook comment. I can't even work closer to me because there's no bus all the time. A lot depends on having to have a cell phone. If you schedule as you're on the go, if you're lucky, the stop has a sign. Uh, to visit my mom, it takes two minutes, to, sorry, two buses and a 30-minute walk. Downtown Main Street at midnight is not fun. I support transit, but I understand why you need a car. And I don't think it's possible to live strictly by the bus. Transit doesn't visit pl- uh, enough places well enough to enjoy the city. Here's a synopsis I was getting to from another individual. Fares are high. Buses are off schedule constantly. Many lines come so infrequently they can add hours to your ride. Pego is po- slow to the point of uselessness. He's, this person is saying this to Matt Allard, who was in charge of the Pego program when he wielded influence around the halls of 510 Main Street. Despite the creation of the blue line, bus travel, says a uh, young lady, uh, I think she's getting her master's actually. So she has many years experience with this. Travel from St. Boniface to the U of M is 40 minutes in the morning, one of his own constituents, and one and a half hours in the afternoon. Part of the problem is buses coming out of downtown for connection during rush hour is always late and full. Uh, which, uh, speaking of St. Boniface, then I'll go back to this other commentary, but this is, it relates to the location of our office. The number 10 sucks, Madelard got told. We live in St. Vital, and the 14 is wonderful. The 10 has sucked since I was a, tin, a teen living in St. B. It is not one frequently enough never, enough, never lines up with other buses. But Madelard, he doesn't care about the 10. He was in charge of things at City Hall, and they cut the bus service on Sundays. The number 10 goes by the St. Boniface Hospital. And they cut it late at night. Because you don't want healthcare workers. You want people to actually be safe around the hospital. Let them walk down to Provence or walk up to Marion, one of the most notorious bus shelters in the city at the corner of Marion and Taché. Madelard didn't stand up for, for bus service in, in this neighborhood because that's, too, that's a small stuff. That's like worrying about whether the sidewalks have heaved, which he hasn't mentioned anything about and didn't do anything about when he was in charge. Someone named Jennifer with a comment. I did a a test again on Facebook. Daily riding for one month just prior to COVID because I was working out of the home full time. And here are my observations. So you remember what Matt Allard said? These are the advantages. This is why it works. This is why I like it. It's not cheaper than driving, and I drive an ultra-fuel-efficient vehicle. Parking at work was free. Bus fare was $6 a day. I don't, didn't find a day-to-day savings. I would still need my car, so the annual cost for insurance and maintenance would still be paid. It was much less comfortable. The bus route I was taking in that month was a popular one. My stop was far down the line. I had to stand every trip with my lunch, lunch bag, laptop, coffee, and wobbly legs. I found it super uncomfortable compared to driving. Germs. The bus I would take was packed like sardines, standing room only, lots of coughing near me, and even pre-COVID, I found other germs to be yucky. Another person with commentary about Sunday service. This is not the dark ages where people didn't work on a Sunday. I had a four people in my home, three of them work on Sundays, ended up taking a cab or an Uber because it takes them three hours to go from point A to point B, but on a weekday, they can go to work for 45 minutes. Why do minimum wage earners have to pay for cabs to get to work on time on a Sunday? For one of my family members, it's two hours of pay uncalled for in this day and age. Has Matt Allard ever heeded the concerns of the working class? 
Not if they don't ride a bike. One woman saying that her kid has walked from Keniston home on Southdale on a Sunday. That's a hike. Now, another individual commenting that I happen to know through uh, uh, other departments, uh, they they worked for a company that I did some consulting work for and would see them at the Christmas party. So I know this woman is. Downtown is a hellscape. No trouble taking the 14 in downtown, arriving on time, but getting home could be 30 to 90 minutes. Buses late, 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 late. Then three come at the same time. Last week, there was water pouring out of the edge of the plastic ceiling, soaking the carpeted seats. When I got home, the husband noticed a blood stain on the back of my brand new white shirt. Let's go to this late, late, late thing for a minute. Just today, as I record this at 548, somebody had put up a screen capture, a, 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 a picture from their phone of an app with the stop details at 548 today for routes 11 and 16. Okay, they're looking for one of two buses to get to where they're going. This is rush hour on Thursday. The first bus coming, they're looking for 11s and 16s. A 16 in 11 minutes, which means it would have been there at one minute to six. The next bus, another 16. The first one going to St. Patel Center, the other one going to Southdale, a minute after. So you have two 16s back to back. Four minutes later, is it 11? No, it's another 16. Just like the one five minutes earlier. Now what also comes at 604? Another 16, just like the one that came four minutes earlier to Southdale. Now this person at 60, at 622, another 16. And at 627 on this, you've had six 16s in a row, the Selkirk-Osborne route. In a half an hour, finally, guess what comes? At the same time, two at the same time, 628, the 11, Portage Kildonan. It's super convenient. Rush hour, people can't get home in this city. And Matt Allard pretends he doesn't know why people don't take the bus. Is he going to try to blame Scott Gillingham for this? By the way, you can blame Gillingham because he was at Bowman's right hand. So you can blame him. But Allard was in charge of this ship. Look at the state it's in. And this is also, I should mention, attributable to the construction. St. Boniface, it is impossible for people coming to and from St. Boniface right now. It is it is so hemmed in. We see what's going to happen with Madelard's beloved bike lanes when they take away a lane of traffic and access and egress on Goulet, that when you have one lane down because of an accident or reconstruction, as you're having now, uh, coming off the, the Marion turn into Goulet around the, uh, to go towards downtown around the Marion Hotel, and it's down in one lane, we see how many blocks it gets backed up. He wants to take away more road capacity and take away a tra- an express transit route in the morning. Another comment, listener of this program, I'm not going to get stabbed by another passenger in my car. Now, I'll mention him by name. He's a listener of this program, Dave Grant. Made a comment that I find interesting. He appears frequently at City Hall. He says, most of the time, the bus is 10 to 20 times too big. It's uh, too bad no one listens to delegations at Silly Hall. BRT is slower than the express bus it replaced, which they tried to cover up for years. Absolutely correct. A billion dollars, he says. Wasted. Chasing a failed dream they refused to stop. Nine years ago, I said to EBC, they need to buy the green light transmitter system. Instead, they spent 400 times as much for a slower system, and this week pretended to have invented the green light system. Uh, another comment from a woman 
Why don't I? Meaning take the bus, telling alert. First, they are a crowded, disgusting mess. Second, this city, I'd like to make it home alive. Third, my son has special needs. Transit is one of the few city programs that doesn't let a caregiver go free. I didn't know that. A return trip costs just over 12 bucks if I don't bring a second set of hands with me. Everything about it is just gross. Another uh, comment, uh, almost done with this. Uh, one's going to come from a, an actual uh, former bus driver, but here's the setup for it. Fellow with a long explanation. I feel the people that use transit, meaning Matt Allard, probably know why people don't use transit. It is a convenient, isn't always safe. The bus doesn't always show up. The bus doesn't always pick up, meaning it drives past people. It's not always an acceptable cleanliness condition. The bus isn't always safe for adults, let alone children. You use the bus app, it tells you to go catch a certain bus, only to find that the bus goes out of service before it reaches that destination. You can see the countdown until the bus is supposed to arrive, but it never shows up. If you switch to a stop further down the route, the bus isn't running anymore. The bus app tells you the bus is running late and how, many how much time you have to wait. So it'll be two minutes late for 10 minutes. When the bus is full, it passes people by waiting. This makes you late for everything. So you learn to try a different route or time. I could say that part of the reason is that people are failing to move all the way to the back of the bus. And there are times where buses are crowded, but there is that space from the, you know, from the rear door, the, the, the exit door down. That is part of the problem here. Here's a bigger part of the problem. On way too many occasions, this fellow I think was named Brian, I've witnessed people fleeing bus stops because of threats or violence against people not riding the bus. I guess that doesn't happen in Windsor Park. The wannabe passengers start scattering for other hopefully safer stops sometimes or miss the bus. Do you want to sit in a seat covered in filth in a puddle of liquid or just stand? We pay for all of the above. Bus drivers who don't like the conditions at times, can you imagine how the people paying feel? Here's uh, the capper, a comment on Facebook. I will tell you why I will not ride a transit bus. I drove for transit for 39 years. Over that time, I've seen experienced things that would scare the pants off a regular member of the public. The abuse piled on a driver's not only by the public, but by management would be considered abuse in any other job. There's no safety on a bus. There's a bus driver for 39 years. Somebody tell Matt Allard. There's no safety on a bus. Let's compare it to what he said about driving a car. Oh, it's not dangerous. You might get in a car crash. What's the likelihood of a car crash? In MPI statistics, 100. That wasn't Winnipeg. I'm pretty sure that that was province-wide. But, but let's look at how many are highway, how many are city, how many are urban settings. Oh, there's public safety risk. And once you go in public, it's just not safe. Really? Hmm. Except when it comes to people that are, are you know, professional bike riders and then we have to reduce every point of conflict and this and that and make things completely impossible for everybody else lest someone else have to try to watch out for their own safety while they pedal a bicycle here's the conclusion of what this former bus driver said over 39 years i was there i've seen many forms of management from the old school military vets to the current elitist management the city currently uses the current management is the worst i have ever seen it is important for them to bury issues so they don't have to deal with them. There's a reason that ridership is down. Transit would rather blame the drivers or deny that a problem exists. And so we see that here's an example of a city councilor completely out of touch with reality. Trying to minimize reality by saying, well... The bus is a public space, and like other public safe spaces, there are safety risks. There are also safety risks when traveling by car. 
as uh, one young lady who uh, works uh, downtown, listener of this program, made mention, when I'm driving my car, I'm not worried about a used needle rolling down the aisle or out from under the seat. I'm not worried about people who are unsanitary. I'm not worried about bear spray. I'm not worried about somebody getting shanked or somebody having their phone stolen. Maybe one day Matt Allard will cease and desist from his bus and bike lane fantasies and come to the realization, as should all of city council, not just picking on Matt, that until people feel that taking a bus is a safe, hygienic, low-risk, yes, there's risk, it's not considered low-risk anymore. Except, I guess, if you're catching the bus over on Elizabeth Road down the block from the 7-Eleven in Windsor Park, and I guess there, it's still not so bad. But many people from St. Boniface made a point, the service of the neighborhood sucks, This danger lurks all the way, like the tent's considered a good route, and it goes, used to, well, it goes up into Wolseley. It's an easy route to drive, but it is also fraught with peril. And that happened on Madillard's watch. Madillard start watching what goes on around him on the transit system. Maybe he should talk to the riders. But he certainly heard plenty when reality emerged very few oh transit's wonderful oh save the planet he's very hung up on saving the planet how about saving your constituents and the citizens of winnipeg from the horrors of what happens on transit first and maybe do something for the drivers too about the bad management while you're at it taking up a seat at city council back with more of the great canadian talk show right after this the great canadian talk show podcast is brought to you by midpoint auto vehicle sales at wholesale pricing 1.99 percent financing on new cars 6.99 percent financing on great used vehicles cars trucks vans suvs that's not all off-road vehicles campers snowmobiles dirt bikes even boats if you're in the market for something with an engine then that's the place you want to go midpointautomotive.ca the phone number, 833-997-9930. Again, that's 833-997-9930. Midpoint Auto, bad credit approved, good credit rewarded. If you're a listener of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, let them know by giving them the promo code. T-A-L-K, the word talk. That's the promo code. And you're sure to get a great deal from Midpoint Automotive. Do you have a comment, story tip, or want to advertise or support the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast? Email tgcts1 at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at TGCTS. You have the power. Back with more of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. Uh, your support integral, and uh, you've seen, as I mentioned at the top of the program, you've seen the continuing contraction among uh, mainstream newsrooms that, uh, you know, the uh, politicians love the mainstream newsrooms and want to prop them up. Um, but when it comes to making sure there's a return for shareholders, in the end, they whack the news departments. Well, here, I'm the shareholder and I'm the news department. I'm not going to whack myself here. I'm going to expand this work. I'm going to grow this platform. 
We're going to make a difference as we have for over 15 years, starting on Kick FM and then on Shaw TV, and then by being in between those two gigs, becoming Winnipeg's first public affairs podcast. That's with your support. And it's worth it. Nobody can match what I'm able to produce. Oh, the FIPAs are coming, folks. The freedom of information requests are coming. I've got a list and I'm checking it twice. Christmas might come in July. Who knows? And so I'm just giving you all a bit of a nudge. If you feel you can handle it. If you think it's okay. If you want to make sure that things continue the way they're going. With the information and commentary that we bring forward. A hundred bucks here, 50 bucks there. It all makes a difference. One of the reasons I go back to this is because in years past, there were some very major backers, very major contributors who believed in the cause of citizen journalism and believed that there being an alternative voice. And sadly, some of them have passed on. And so, while I represent perhaps an old generation of uh, old-style journalism, that wasn't subjected to some course somewhere and some professors somewhere, but learned the old-fashioned way by nagging newsrooms, by becoming a stringer, by getting breaks, by breaking stories. That's the kind of effort that requires your support because it gets no Trudeau and never will. So just keep it in mind as we head into July and the launch of the new website and that really the launch of the election coverage. It's fueled by you. You can't just sit back and complain, ah, geez, you know, Global's crap and they feed CJOB and that's crap and their hosts don't give us anything really to talk about in the water cooler anymore and CBC's garbage and the other, you know, the, the CTV's incomprehensible half the time and ugh, CBC you're already paying for. And the Winnipeg Sun, a shadow of its former self, and we aren't even talking about the free press today. So this is a worthwhile investment I'm asking you folks to make because the more support there is from the community from people that want to make sure that their voices aren't drowned out, that their opinions aren't stampeded by a bunch of ideologues who attack your way of life, who attack the way you make a living, who attack your family, who attack your values, who embrace the kind of socialism that crippled Venezuela and who knows how many other South American countries as well as the Eastern Bloc in the good old days. That's why you hear this pitch, and that's why you're going to keep hearing the pitch. Your support will ensure that somebody's out here to be a watchdog for you, and that's going to be me. Provincial affairs coming to the fore. Uh, I want to mention a big turnaround in the mining industry in this province coming up with the resumption of a mine project in Lynn Lake uh, I uh, with the... Uh, direct involvement of the, I believe it's the Matthias Cologne Band, and and I actually covered when the move was made to close those mines, and and the government 
it was seen that the government didn't do what they could have done to make sure a deal was made. And, and so Lynn Lake collapsed in terms of the population, went from, I think, 4,900. And now people out there are optimistic. Uh, it's important to our economy. It's important to the northern economy. And I'm going to, uh, in the next week or two, see if I can uh, maybe uh, dig up not just the audio from how it got to the point it got that has now been recovered, but maybe be able to line up an interview um, with one of the principals, maybe even the Minister of Natural Resources. Maybe I should ask to speak with the Minister of Natural Resources because this is good news for Manitoba. And I, I know it sounds a little uh, odd, but uh, in whatever form um, of media I've been on, uh, I paid attention to the mining industry. Marianne Mahaychuk was actually, when she was uh, uh, minister in the NDP government, she and she ended up going into the... Um, uh, mining industry as an executive a representative. Um, she she was a very good interview uh, and encouraged my interest in this field because it's it forms the backbone of many streams of revenue in our economy. So maybe we'll dig up some uh, historic audio for another episode. Everybody clamoring about the latest poll results. Huge lead in Winnipeg. NDP continues to lead the PC government. You know what nobody talks about? Now, this was a, a an Angus Reid poll this week. Was it probe research was the other polls? I think so. So maybe a little bit mixing caution and borscht. I think this one had under, if I'm remembering right, this one had under 500 respondents, which is actually bad news for the NDP because they're only ahead 44 to 39. And a poll with such a small sample taken by these kinds of companies inevitably skews left. But let's compare it to the previous polls. Remember the good old days when the NDP, when Wab Canoe was ahead by 18 points? The NDP sailing along with 47% support and the Conservatives down to 29. Back in the, I believe that was in the Pallister days. And then the NDP dropped a little in the Conservatives' gain. I've talked about this on the podcast previously. And so now that 18-point lead, the NDP have dropped by three in these polls. It's just a sense of things. They haven't grown their support. And the Conservatives have picked up 10 points. 44 to 39, these things would have a margin of error. If a margin of error was assigned, they'd generally be around 3.5%, 4%. This turned into a horse race. And they haven't even gotten to the starting gate yet. Guab Canoe has no traction. Now let's look at the list of concerns Angus Reid published in this poll. Leading concerns, top five issues on about government performance. This is out of 515 respondents. The cost of living and inflation, 67%. Again, small sample, I admit. 67% said inflation, the cost of living was the top issue and felt the Conservative government had done, 79% felt the Conservative government had done a very poor or poor job. Healthcare, top issue for 57%. So I guess they're asked to name, yeah, name top five issues, okay? 67% included cost of living. 57% included healthcare. Conservatives, 81% unfavorable. Street crime and public safety, 32%. One in three polled felt that crime and public safety was one of the top five issues for them in the election, 79% critical of the performance of the Conservative government, although today they put out a a, a release um, 
lauding the efforts of the special unit picking up some of these scoff laws who are on the uh, the watch list, they repeat offenders, so to speak. Housing affordability, 20% say it's a top issue. The government getting a 73% poor or very poor rating. The deficit and government spending, 18% saying it's a top issue. 59%, I had to start my screen for a second. Not a six, five. 59% saying government's doing a poor, very poor job. Angus Reid Institute, their tweet, there is overwhelming dissatisfaction of the provincial government of Manitoba. Wait a second. There's overwhelming dissatisfaction, but in the polls, they've gained 10 points. Now, what's going on here? Twitter providing a, an interesting observation, a veteran Winnipeg civic-minded Twitterist. Can hardly wait for the October 3rd Manitoba Zuschwang. Zuschwang is a German word. It's a chess term. Now what it means roughly is it's your turn to move and all your moves are bad. Now unlike chess, there is a pass or skip a move in terms of an election. You could spoil your ballot or vote for the Liberals wallowing at 10%. The Liberals having gone from the the heady days of 35% with Sharon Carstairs and whenever that was, 86 or 88 or whatever, I guess that was 88. And now, um, John Gerard only once pulled under, uh, 10, pulled under 10% in his time as leader. Generally, he was around 12%. Uh, don't they wish they had Rana Bakari as leader when they got almost 15%? Dougal Lamont uh, unable to garner any traction. So people could park a vote with the Liberals or with the Green Party. They could pass, not go and vote. They could, you know, skip a move, I guess, spoil your ballot. But ultimately, what's happening is Zugschwang. It's your turn to move and all your moves are bad. And it appears that people are willing. And I don't know if the departure of these various members and cabinet ministers is helping or hurting. I mean, I... I I suppose it might be easier. Uh, uh, the education minister announcing it due to health reasons, she's not going to be running. Uh, Sarah Gillimard, and uh, this might be a good thing in a way. So the criticism of the education, uh, uh, not just the education department, but of the state of education of the province, doesn't fall directly on her as a candidate. The PCs run somebody uh, different out there in South Pamina Highway. But it looks like people are willing to hold their nose in spite of, as Angus Reid puts it, overwhelming dissatisfaction of the provincial government. It appears that they are, the public are very, men, men, many members of the public are very willing to hold their nose and vote for Heather, a Heather Stephenson-led progressive conservative party rather than vote for not just Wab Canoe, but the band of merry radicals that he is comprised as an election team. Now, there'll be more to say about that in the upcoming weeks, obviously. But it's unbelievable how often the mainstream media, when you look at this this reporting this past week, oh, and the NDP, I want to explain, the NDP's big lead in, in Winnipeg. Uh, the Conservatives have seats around Winnipeg, and they are probably going to retain somewhere between 20, 22 rural seats. They only need seven in, in and around Winnipeg. To capture government, uh, and uh, that's notwithstanding what happens, whether the liberal vote, the collapse, ends up costing Lamont or 
or John Gerard River Heights or Cindy Lamru, highly unlikely. Uh, I think Cindy's and Burroughs. Uh, it costs them their seats, that, that three-member independent liberal rump that they have in the legislature. A lot of that NDP support is piled up in places where they already have lots of support. So this, this looking like this overwhelming support in Winnipeg, how spread out is it? And the other thing that could happen is when you keep pounding this message, the mainstream media keeps pounding this message, the NDP's ahead, they've been ahead for two years. That can depress the vote for change. That can depress the NDP vote, suppress rather, in terms of people deciding they aren't going to show up, they don't need to make the effort, or being led by the media to think that this is some sort of foregone conclusion. And you could also end up with a situation, possibly, where the NDP were to win the popular vote but not garner a sufficient number of seats to capture government. So there's much more of a horse race than it was back in the 47 to 29 days. Not that you'd know from reading the pages of the newspapers or having the misfortune of tuning in any of the local radio or television stations. What would it take for a TV station to actually allot three or three minutes a day to some sort of political analysis, to some sort of you know specialty commentary uh, about politics, about City Hall, about the province? They aren't going to do it. They don't want people to be informed. They won't, don't want them to even understand what's going on with the polling. Not one outlet has reported that the NDP support has dropped in the manner that it has. The three points is a slip. But it slipped them down far enough that the Stephenson-led PCs are catching up. No traction for Wab Canoe, no traction for Nanny Fontaine, no traction for that NDP caucus right now. Yes, it can change. We see what other surprises come out. The government throwing around various kinds of largesse and, and programs and uh, hirings, healthcare hirings, uh, averting a public service strike. There's a lot of things that the NDP was hoping to use as weapons against the, conservative, uh, the conservatives that are being taken out of their arsenal right now. And, and clearly moving forward, um, Wab Canoe is going to continue to get peppered with questions. And uh, sometimes he doesn't respond too well to that kind of pressure, as Gord Sinclair of the Free Press found out many years ago with the death glare coming from he who would be premier. Right now, it looks like there's going to be a race. And guess what? I'm going to be covering that race. I'm going to try to talk with the candidates, which I did actually in 2019, uh, covered that provincial election. And I set a goal that year uh, to raise $5,000 for that coverage and came pretty darn close to to that goal. I was able to do that and uh, I haven't set an actual goal uh, for this year, but that gives you an idea of what it'll take to make sure that you get uh, different kinds of interviews, different kinds of information, different kinds of insights Nobody else reported on how you had MLAs who would uh, not pay their tickets and had their wages garnished. So then a provincially paid sheriff had to go and serve the government office, the payroll office, I guess, and then go, uh, all these government people had to get paid to do this job because some MLAs, Wab Canoe, Nahani Fontaine, didn't feel they had to pay their speeding tickets. You ever hear about that? If you weren't following our work in 2019, on the blog, you wouldn't have known. So there's all sorts of tidbits out there about uh, these MLAs. Maybe we'll have to go and check their 
ticket status and how many others have continued to flaunt the law while they sit as legislators. The way Canoon, Hanny Fontaine, and there was a third NDP MLA, and I, I just don't recall who it was. I'll dig that up and, and uh, remind everybody another time. That's enough of this program for today, getting it out a little bit early before the weekend and uh, going to try to stagger these uh, episodes out a little bit uh, over the next while and uh, just sort of pepper you with a little bit more information, a little bit more content, a little bit more opinion. Uh, a former familiar face at City Hall has asked to do, um, just sit in, do a commentary with me, uh, talk, we used to call it rap about, th- rap about things in the old days, uh, that didn't quite come to pass this past weekend in terms of scheduling and, and whatever, but you'll be hearing a familiar and different voice uh, shortly joining me uh, one of these days soon. Here on the podcast, we continue to give the best coverage possible of Winnipeg City Council, of the province, and yeah, federal stuff too, the federal by-election coming up on Monday. We'll probably have a few remarks next week about the results of those by-elections in Portage, Lisgar, and in, is it Winnipeg South Centre? Uh, and uh, accordingly, uh, we bid you a fond adieu. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy this podcast. Share it wherever you can. Think about how you can help grow this, help us accumulate audience, help us bring in more tips, help us solve people's problems, help us hold the rich and powerful to account, help us make sure the government works for you, not against you. And I assure you that as always, when it comes to the Great Canadian Talk Show, we will abide by our motto, you have the power. The Great Canadian Talk Show is brought to you by The Hive Hair Company. From classic to funky, the styles of your life are at The Hive in the heart of the Osborne Village at 175 Osborne. Call 452-4483 or online thehivehaircompany.com Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com or follow him on Twitter at tgcts. Uh